This episode is sponsored by CDN77. Trusted by the European Space Agency, CDN77 supports the latest tech innovations and provides fast, secure, and reliable content delivery solutions all around the world. Learn more at cdn77.com LNL. Hello and welcome to episode 42 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 23rd of July 2018. I'm Joe and with me are Phelim. Good evening. Will. Hello. And Graham. Bonsoir. <laughs> Bonsoir. Yeah, 42, the meaning of life and all that. Uh, I've got a fair bit to uh, get into. We'll hopefully be talking about the Google fine a bit later, but first some news. And Phelim, you must have put all this in. There's quite a lot of KDE stuff to get through. So tell <laughs> us what's new in KDE Corner. <laughs> An outrageous accusation, but also true. Um, there's not a huge amount of new stuff here. It's just a lot of bug fixes that were coming in. I, I felt there was uh, too, too lacking in the KDE news. So I thought I had to fire something in, even if it was just bug fixes, just to show that we don't take holidays in the KDE world. We're just constantly working, constantly striving for perfection. Fair enough. Uh, but there's this onboarding link. Yeah. So six months after the previous um, blog post, uh, they gave an update on the onboarding. Now, I'm going to try this name and I'm going to get it horribly wrong, but it's Neophytus Coloptocatronus or something. Yeah. I, I'm really, really sorry. I don't know and I don't know where he's from, but yeah. Um, he blogged about this. Um, so they had four main points that they wanted to do. They want to attract newcomers. Uh, they want to welcome them in um, and give them clear paths and things to do. And then to promote interaction between the the sort of old hands and the, the new folk who come in too. Um, and he was just giving an update on how that all went. And do you think it's actually going to work then? Well, I think it has, because I think what they've actually done is they did a reworking of a bunch of pages. There's a great page that uh, we should link to as well. Well, he's got it in his blog there, but it's the Get Involved page on KDE. And they did a whole rewrite of this. Um, to give you first thing you can do, you can get in, you can see like book reporting, triaging, development, translation, the visual side of things, documentation, promotion, accessibility. Um, and helping people out, you know, to the fabricator, which is the KDE uh, bug tracker slash code repository. Um, so that allows them to to get a lot of people in, get them doing useful things soon off. And I, I think, you know, we can all agree that as soon as you're doing something useful, even if it's small, you kind of feel like you're contributing to a project. So that allows you to feel like it's worth contributing again. And I think... God, judging by the, there's a couple of projects that have done quite well with just KD Connect and uh, Plasma itself. They they have updated all their documentation and stuff to try and get people involved easier. And they've done a lot of blog posts and similar types of pages where they say, you know, here's a couple of easy things to get started with. And um, yeah, hopefully it makes an improvement. So he's doing a talk at Academy, which is from the 11th to the 17th of August this year um, and that's in Vienna um, and so if anybody's lucky to be going uh, enjoy it uh, if not I imagine those videos will be up pretty soon and uh, yeah get involved how do you think the KDE project compares Phelan to other projects in terms of accessibility and community outreach I think the outreach is not too bad I think yeah accessibility I think we probably have a lot of extra bits to do because Unlike GNOME, say, not trying to have a pot shot at them, but they would have been invested in by 
the likes of Red Hat, Sousa and all that, and they would have applied a lot of money to do, say, the boring jobs. They would have paid for developers to to do a lot of integration of things like screen readers and stuff. Yeah. You know, now, I'm not saying that that's boring, but it's just, it's kind of like, um, it's a bit thankless maybe because you don't have a massive amount of people. It's very useful. It's very good. Um, but, you know, how would I do a screen reader? You know, it's like, I wouldn't see the advantage. I could see obviously the advantage of somebody using it, fair enough. But I think unless maybe you're paid to do that type of work through sponsorship drives and or maybe just by it's your job, you might not go for it as much as, you know, doing something flashy that you think is cool looking. Yeah. So I, I don't know. So do we need to talk to Blue Systems then and get someone on the case with that? Because <laughs> they've got money or it's... They, yeah, but they, yeah, I think it's overstated as to how much they give though. Unless Graham knows otherwise, maybe he's got a secret. No, I don't know at all. In fact, I've, well, in my dealings with the KDE community over the years, I've found them comparatively difficult to deal with. I mean, I gave a talk at Academy one year as well. And I don't know whether it's, a, I think it's a cultural difference with KDE that they're really trying to improve, which I think they are, it is working, but I just always found the, the GTK and the GNOME people so much easier to approach and discuss about things like this or about accessibility and um, just in general. But then they go and change it all in the background anyway and take away all the features. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, That's funny because I've always found Jonathan Riddle to be very easy to talk to and very approachable. He, he answers emails and messages very quickly and comes on shows when I ask him and stuff. And he's always got a lot to say. And he, I, I don't know. So that seems to be the other way around. I, I wouldn't even know who to approach to get on the show from the GTK side of things. It doesn't seem to be that many public figures, at least in the sort of audio world. I guess you're right in the audio world, but I mean, the Gnome Foundation always very approachable. Yeah, well, I don't suppose they would actually come on the show after what I've no. said about Gnome. <laughs> so it's probably... Uh, yes, Cortez, I think you burnt those boats. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about uh, Guido Van Rossum resigning as the Python leader. He's had enough after all the politics that's been going on. He's not dead yet, but he's got on the cart voluntarily. <laughs> yeah. So what's all this about? I know you're very much into your Python failing, so you must have followed this to some extent. Only in passing. I don't know how important it is. I mean, it's obviously important in the fact that he's able to do the old tiebreaker on things or just say, look, we're doing it this way because I think so. Kind of the advantage of a benevolent dictator. But they are a dictator overall as well. So I think he's right to step away because you don't want to be there forever. And it's better to do it now while he can still step in and say, look, lads, you're making the right balls of that. You know, try to do it better or something. But that's the point. He's not offering any replacement for him, is he? He's just saying, sort it out amongst yourselves. I'm leaving and fuck you, basically. Yeah, but that that would be dictor dictatorial, wouldn't it? So he'd be better off to let them come up with what they want to after, even if it is another dictator. You know, if they choose that that's the most efficient way to get stuff done, then maybe that's what they decide. But... I think it's right for him to leave it to it. It's like, uh, what did I say? If you rerun Brexit now, you wouldn't get the same result because all the old people who died. I mean, that's <laughs> you don't want that type of thing from Python. You know, you want him to just bugger off. And he can always step back in and say, you know, you're not doing it right. Stop being stupid. Yeah, I can't believe that you've mentioned Brexit already. You'll get Graham started. Uh, to get in there, beat Graham. <laughs> <laughs> but I did think that his um, transfer of power email was... P slightly passive aggressive um 
slightly bitter as well, which I thought is kind of a sad way. If that's kind of his the 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 concluding chapter of his main primary involvement in Python, that's just kind of a sad way to leave it. Maybe it's all part of a secret tactic to make people step up. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the Python community is like that. I I met I met him once, and actually, he was one of the hardest people I interviewed, which is strange because you'd think that that the Python community is actually very receptive and you know very organic and. Uh, Guido himself was, you know, very, he was working at Google at the time and quite difficult to talk to. What, just uh, very simple answers or, or what? I mean, it's difficult being in that position because you know that, that people are going to want kind of more general information and no doubt stuff that he's repeated over and over and over again. And he's unwilling to kind of repeat obvious answers if it's mentioned somewhere in a mailing list or, or he, he wanted specific questions that wouldn't generally be in very interesting if you were transcribed to transcribe them and publish them um and yet you know he was generous enough to give us his time and kind of reminded us of that and he didn't look behind and see Cristobona waving a, a pointy stick at him making him sit there no <laughs> no i think Cristobona's is like the opposite isn't he he's the opposite in that kind of way and and kind of more than happy to say over the same things again I mean, I guess we'll get on to Google later, but, you know, Christobono, I think, genuinely is on the good side there. Uh, well, he's been doing it for the best part of 30 years now, so I guess he's he's had enough. And as we talked about at Foss Talk Live, he feel, I think he feels that the community have just been putting on him for, for some time, and uh, he feels that he's he's just going to cut it all off and, and walk off because he's not getting the either the respect or the cooperation that he expected. Well, I'm sure that they'll work something out. And he did say he's not going to be completely disappearing. He was going to be one of the developers for a while, at least, to help them with the transition. So here's hoping. It'll be grand. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm very worried about it. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on and talk about NPM and a bit of a fail that has happened there recently. Again, you put this one in, failing. Yeah, I, I just, you know, obviously... I like Python, so if I can stick the boot into JavaScript at any point, it's great. Fuck a bunch of Node. Um, nah, yeah, they, they seem to have a bit of a problem where there is a potential Bitcoin miner going to turn up in a, a linter. Um, it didn't actually do any damage as such, but it could have very potentially done it. And um, this is despite the fact that they even alerted to the fact that linters are going to be a very dangerous piece of code and the fact that npm kind of runs a pile of scripts after it downloads a bit like the post install scripts on a debian package yeah it's pulling stuff down on from different websites etc um i don't know whether it's architecturally just broken or whether kind of not curated enough i don't know i don't know where you fix this issue but i i certainly think it's got issues right now i mean i think we all do i think any type of user submitted type of um code is going to be questionable as to how safe it is it's gonna it's getting towards kind of windows or as you say that on uh land the other day um you know the danger of user submitted code I think it's a real issue because we've had the safety in Linux repos for so long of, you know, you can install this package. It's from the repo. Well, NPM is not really a repo like in that type of sense. So it's dangerous stuff out there. You have to check it. And realistically, who does? Well, I've had the same thing with the AUR, the Arch user repository in the last couple of weeks. Again, a cryptocurrency miner. It's funny that 
it used to be um, just random malware that people wanted to spread, and then it was ransomware, but that's all old hat now, and now it's all about mining cryptocurrencies, which really is probably a good thing in terms of security, because obviously you don't want that happening on any of your machines, but it's not the worst thing in the world that can happen. They're not stealing any data generally, are they? So it's probably a blessing in disguise. That That's my uh, positive hat on for a second. But um, yeah, this the NPM thing, the uh, AUR thing, uh, the, the, we had the, the Snap Store had a crypto miner in it as well uh, fairly recently. And uh, yeah, call me old fashioned, but uh, I don't remember any of this happening before we had um, these repos that anyone could contribute to. When it was very trusted maintainers maintaining the repositories, we didn't have these problems. And um, Will, no doubt you will chime in with confinement, confinement and <laughs> shit now and verified publishers. But for me, it's just not the right way to do this stuff. We need to have someone in charge, someone who we put our trust in. and whether that's Debian, Fedora, Slackware, whatever it is you're using, put your trust in that maintainer and put all of your trust in them or set of maintainers rather than having to, with the AUR, look at the build scripts and everything and with the Snap Store having to look who's publishing this, hmm, are they verified, are they trustworthy? Just being able to app get install something or um, DNF install, just never worry about it. That seems to me to be a much better system. And uh, yes, I understand why these new uh, ways of doing things have come into being because they are solving problems, but I just don't see them as being the right solutions. So, right, we'll defend snaps or something. Go on. I dare you. Well, let's see. Uh, I think um, to a certain extent, you're right. that There are now so many uh, applications or so many libraries um, that are updated so frequently that I think realistically, uh, distros have said, we can't cope with this influx and this rate of change. Um, and so either we have to plant our feet in you know, a very specific version and we update that as soon as we can. Uh, and, you know, in the case of Debian Stable, that's quite a long time between those changes. Or you go the archway, which is to say, well, let's just, you know, as soon as it's ready, let's ship it. Um, and that's two extremes, obviously. But the what you're talking about is how do we manage the the release of new versions when there are that many new versions coming out? And I think it's just a manpower issue. Surely machine learning and quantum AI will solve it all. <laughs> and blockchain as well. Don't forget blockchain. Well, it's got to be a blockchain, obviously. Maybe there is actually a way to make blockchain get involved. Hmm, stop might it. Have a, might have a startup <laughs> idea there. Get some VC money. No, stop now. <laughs> I am fascinated by your idea and wish to subscribe to your newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe maybe Linux is just becoming popular. I mean, we always used to, you know, when Windows was always so full of malware. And really, the, the reason, <laughs> but the reason for that was because, you know, 99% of everyone was using Windows. And, you know, yeah. maybe viruses, it's the sign of winning. <laughs> but every, well, it is. we also, we have a choice. You know, we don't have to fuel this addiction to every latest release. It's just that people want that. So, you know, you're going to have to accept a compromise if that's what you want or put some effort into helping find a solution. I mean, a blockchain isn't going to help if it's not going to help 
it's gonna if you've got to sign the code at some point and if distro is going to change the code you still got to deal with that different signature or certificate even if it's in a blockchain you sound like a heathen get out damn it stop pissing on my idea i was going to make millions <laughs> no it's a, it's a reasonable idea i think for situations like this but it doesn't solve the main problem which is what bill said which is manpower somebody to man or woman power somebody to sign the to verify the signatures even if they're in a blockchain so it reminds me of the folk story about the chicken who was uh, also a farmer who needed help to bring in the crops and turn it into bread and bake the bread and then eat the bread. And, of course, nobody wanted to help until it came to the eating the bread stage. Um, and that is indeed reflected in the problem, I think. That is a reasonable analogy, I suppose, that no one really wants to help make it happen. And that's why Shuttleworth has decided to take it upon himself to do this snaps thing. Um but uh, just uh, how are we going with this verified publisher thing? I saw um, on the website now um, they've got the ticks for certain verified publishers, but not on the command line yet. Not yet. No, it's. I think it's in a either in a merge proposal or a pull request, and uh, it should be landing real soon now. I think the work is basically done. It's just going through some some last bit QA, um, and then we still need to hook it up into the GNOME software front end as well. But yeah, it won't be far away now. So it will end up in the GUI sooner rather than later then? Yes. We already have a branch. We just need to get it tested. Excellent. And what does a tick mean? Does it mean someone in Canonical said that they were given a code by, say, Microsoft and Skype? Or does it mean that Microsoft and Skype built the snap? So it means that Canonical have verified that the person who says that they published that code have published that code. So that could be in the case of Microsoft that we verify that they are Microsoft. In the case of Joe Bloggs, uh, we have spoken to Joe Bloggs and we have done sufficient um, due diligence to confirm that they are who they say they are. How, do you, how would you do that for, say, in this example, the Joe Bloggs case? Um because like obviously Microsoft is quite easy. You could even go to an office and find somebody. But how would you do that for a smaller developer team? I don't know the exact process, but I think there's there's some proof of identity involved there. So I don't know if that's, you know, scans of your ID or credit card numbers or what. I don't know how that's done, I'm afraid. But I'll find out and I'll let you know. Enjoy your GDPR nightmare. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, let's move on and talk about mobile. The Librem 5, the last great hope as far as I'm concerned. Uh, for mobile and free software. They have posted an update, Purism that is, and it's not looking that good, I'm afraid. The dev boards have been delayed. They've got uh, an emulator image, like a QMU image of their, their UI and the OS as it stands, and it's just nowhere near ready, and they're just there's no way they're going to ship anything good in the early part of next year and uh someone i don't know if i'm allowed to say who has predicted that they won't ship at all next year and i'm starting to agree with that random person is he a mate of yours i'm saying absolutely no more i'll have to check it might not be a he and it could be a she oh i think you've already given that away <laughs> oh, shit <laughs> worst espionage ever yeah but so what do we all think about this then? Um, is it just them predictably slipping a bit and it's all going to be fine? Or is this just them being way too ambitious, trying to write their own shell and Wayland compositor and all of that? And um, is it just doomed to failure? Well, I think not going with KDE was their most <laughs> terrible mistake they made, obviously. Well, you joke <laughs> about that, but 
Plasma Mobile is fairly uh, advanced, at least compared with what I saw of this um, QMU image. Yeah, and even if you didn't like parts of it, you could probably do the QT uh, quick bits yourself faster and you could do redevelopment and making gnome not suck <laughs> but they're very invested in the whole gtk thing aren't they with their pure os and they want to have convergence across it and um todd weaver the ceo he's got this grand vision so do we just believe him that it's all going to be fine or is it time to start saying to them look have a fucking word with yourselves if you want this to work use some existing technologies I don't really want to rain on their parade. Um, I really hope it succeeds. Um, it's really difficult doing something like this. I mean, really, really difficult. I can't imagine many things harder. And they don't have that much money. That kind of money that they got, it's going to go very, very quickly. Um, so I want to remain optimistic and delays nearly always happen with these kind of things of course all four of us bought one so that's why we will have helped them get that hardware purchased yeah. and i would not have touched that project with a barge pole why not well i have literally owned the t-shirt having been there and done that and it is extremely difficult extremely expensive and there's no market for it so yeah i don't know Perhaps I am just fried by the whole experience. Yes, you and the other remnants of the canonical staff who <laughs> didn't get laid off. <laughs> Presumably, they're all quite jaded about it as well. You know, I think over, overall, I think people are pretty positive about the the idea behind it. But uh, yes, I think those that have been bitten by such a project are uh, a little bit hesitant. What I don't understand is why a concerted group effort couldn't approach a Chinese manufacturer of a baseboard and just say look can we have a fucking open firmware for this thing and then that's the problem solved i don't think that they would give you one i you know asking even with a lot of customers behind you still is not going to produce an open uh but you could pay for it they could pay extra money for it yeah that's but what I, I, think, I think there's a lot of secret sauce in there or, or at least they can't no be at this but i think stage, they feel though. that there is and yeah, nobody wants to be the first person to open the box and let everyone have a poke around inside, you know? I see it's all held together by ropey pearl scripts. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's probably Python, yeah. Shut up. <laughs> but yeah, like the, if you open source one of them, then presumably that would allow you to have a greater understanding of the other ones that are similar or whatever. And so, yeah, I agree with Will that that is just not going to happen. Uh, it's funny enough, something that Purism have been trying with Intel, and that hasn't gone very well. Intel even uh, made them delete some details on a blog post not too long ago about their reverse engineering efforts. I think that, yeah, it, it's just not going to happen, really. And I think we're lucky that we've got these IMX boards. Um, but that's another issue, actually, with the Purism thing. They still haven't got the IMX 8 uh, running and working properly. It's all based on the IMX6, and they really want to go for the more powerful one, the 8. So it just seems very unlikely. Uh, as I said at Fostalk Live, I really want it to happen, but I just I can't see it happening, unfortunately. But uh, one thing that I would love to see happen, again, I talked about this at um, Fostalk Live, was Risk Five being successful. And it seems to have sort of crossed the threshold where ARM starting to get worried about it because they put up this website basically dissing risk five and then after a lot of backlash even internally um they pulled it down again 
So does that validate what Risk Five is all about then? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, to me, it's, I wouldn't have thought anything could uh, get close to whatever Arm are doing. And it's a bit of a Streisand effect. It's like, oh, really? There's, they're feeling enough pressure to actually respond to it in some way. Then yes. Yeah, because it's not the high-end stuff that they're worried about, is it? Because no. they don't make as much money that. It's the low-end IoT stuff where Risk Five can potentially actually undercut their business. Well, I mean, if you look at what... Was it Western Digital, I believe, that did it? They have decided that they're going to use Risk Five on all of its hard drive chips. And, you know, imagine there's a few of those per hard drive and they sell quite a lot of hard drives. Imagine ARM would have liked a piece of the action. And if one of the hard drive manufacturers does it, the others are surely going to be following that because if they see that they're getting a leg up by having this open, fast developed, stable architecture, then why are we developing our own single chips? Sure, let's do this. So I don't know, I think it'd be a very lucrative market. The thing I don't fully understand about RISC-V is, is it ever going to be a full CPU for a general purpose computer as opposed to a hard drive controller? Well, what sci Five are doing is licensing designs for single-ball computers, which are not sort of general purpose, you know, you're not going to stick it in a laptop. It's much more along the sort of Raspberry Pi type lines. And it's not as powerful, I don't think, but it runs Linux. So, you know, that is much more than just a little, um, uh, you know, hard drive controller, you know, very low power, whatever. So yeah, it, it does have the potential to be a, a general purpose CPU, I think. Okay. Okay, then. So this episode of Late Night Linux is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com. And they are a dedicated Linux computer seller based here in the UK. And they ship computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate 18.04. And they've got a whole range of machines. They've got laptops, desktops, and servers. The laptops go from fairly affordable stuff that's kind of ideal for web browsing and email, that sort of thing, all the way up to real powerhouses with the latest NVIDIA graphics that you can do machine learning and uh, 3D art and video editing and graphic design. And... Almost everything's configurable in terms of CPU and RAM and storage. I always say this, but they're a company who cares about Linux. It's all they do. It's not some side project for them. All they do is sell computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate. I recently heard from someone who had bought one of their machines and had a bit of a problem with it. And apparently they sorted it out really quickly and with no fuss at all. So, you know, things occasionally do go wrong, but they're there with the customer service as well. I've got first-hand account now that they are um, very good with the customer service. And they ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. If you do buy one of the machines, then there's a little drop-down at checkout. Do select Late Night Linux so they know that we sent you. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. On to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. Very much appreciated. And don't forget the new-ish $5 Patreon reward, which means you can get an ad-free RSS feed. Um, if you're supporting us on PayPal to the tune of $5 plus, I just still haven't got a good way to sort you out with that. Um, but do get in touch if you're interested in I'll try and get Phelan to help me figure that out. Um, if you want to join them, uh, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support and uh, help us out. Uh, there's even Bitcoin, which I haven't checked for ages, but there's various ways. And DigitalOcean, of course, um, you can use the affiliate link. And then um, if you end up using them, then we get some free hosting time, which is good. Um, and if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. Um, and come to OGCamp. And go to Academy. Yeah, when was Academy again? 
the 11th till the 17th of August. Ah, and then the next day, the 18th of August and 19th of August is Ogcamp in Sheffield. And, you know, Vienna and Sheffield are so linked together that it'd be easy to just hop on the, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, you could probably fly or something. I'm sure there's direct flights to Sheffield. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from Vienna to Yorkshire, eh? Okay, so this episode of Late Night Linux is sponsored by CDN77. Go to cdn77.com slash LNL. That's for Late Night Linux. And they are a UK-based CDN provider with a standalone live streaming platform. And apart from sponsoring loads of open source projects like CentOS and KDE and Fedora and Gentoo, one of their biggest clients is the European Space Agency. And they are delivering Hubble images all around the world. They were the first CDN to implement HTTP2 and Brotley compression, and they're a real innovation leader. Everything's developed in-house, and they managed to push 80 gigabits per second of live streaming through just one machine through server optimization. And they've got 500 servers all running Debian, which is what runs this CDN, and only a few of them are VMs. The vast majority of them are physical servers. And they've got 30 points of presence all over the world in North America, South America, Europe, Asia, and Australia with over 7 terabits per second network capacity. They've got great 24-7 live support, and you can either go pay-as-you-go, or they've got monthly pricing plans uh, with no commitments or hidden costs. If you go to cdn77.com slash LNL, you can get a 14-day trial with no credit card needed. And if you do decide to stick with them, check out their first payment bonus. If you do sign up using our link, then you'll get an extra 10% off that. So go to cdn77.com slash LNL and start delivering your content. Right, so Google, Android, the EU, $5 billion fine. Where do we start with all this? The EU have had enough of Google's behavior when it comes to Android, uh, specifically three things. Making OEMs install uh, Google Search and Chrome if they want to use the Play Store. Paying OEMs to only include the Google Search app and stopping OEMs from shipping other devices running forks of Android, things like Fire OS or whatever, if they want to sell any Android devices at all. And $5 billion is the result of that. They are going to appeal it, so it's going to drag on for a very long time by the looks of things. Could be many, many years before the EU actually sees that money. But interestingly, they've given Google a 90-day deadline to sort this out and stop doing it, which means that we might potentially see different search providers and potentially even uh, more Fire OS devices or maybe even other forks of Android. So I think all in all, this is a pretty good win for the EU as usual, my beloved EU. And I can't believe we're leaving, but uh, let's not mention that again. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It'll be bastard. my five billion and not yours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, uh, we'll be paying even more than that to leave. But uh, anyway, so my initial reaction had been that I was pretty down on this. But then the more I read about it, the more I thought, actually, yeah, fuck Google, quite frankly. They've been bastards about this and they deserve to get fined. So um, this is pretty political. This basically separates the um, libertarians from the authoritarians. So, um, Phelim, you're pretty fucking authoritarian. Presumably you're well in favour of this. I'm rubbing my hands with those faceless bureaucrats. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I. yeah, I mean, I can see you want to have a open market and you want Android to do well against the tyranny of... Microsoft Phone and BlackBerry, yes, D 
dear God, save us all now. I think those days have long passed. I mean, they were looking back at it and they said it was never going to be in competition to Apple, despite the fact that Google have tried to claim that retroactively, but it was never about that. It was always about beating um, uh, Windows because Windows were starting to look like they were going to be a dominant force in phone, how wrong that was. But you get a sense from Google how disgusted they are, but how, I don't know whether they're disconnected from how Google on phones works because the Google CEO Sundar Pichai came out and said that, uh, you know, there's great value in the Android ecosystem and the fact that, you know, people put about 50 apps average on their phones themselves and they can easily remove the pre-installed apps. Yeah, I saw that and that was just fucking bullshit. What a load of shite. Absolutely. You just want to get all that crap off. The best thing you can do is remove it from your fucking desktop. It's such utter crap. It's like all that shit that you used to get with um, a Windows PC back in the 90s, you know, like fucking AOL shopper online and all this crap that you didn't need. And, you, you know, except in this case, you actually can't uninstall it. I've got some news for you. Windows PCs still shit with loads of bloatware bullshit, apparently. Good. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's quite a good we're got, I think we should link to the article that um, we've got there about a good breakdown of it and the fact that you know it was looking like browsers were going to be the big battlefield and yeah Google invested heavily in Chrome so the main way to build a good ecosystem was to develop the software really well which I think we're all happy about but the fact that it started to look like if people could make forks of Android everybody could get this for free and Google would lose its dominance because if someone else sticks their own search engine as the main search provider, then, you know, that's really where Google's trying to drive its revenue from because that's still the most important part. So they had to find a way to lock people into that and that was to use the Google Play services, which have replaced pretty much all the useful bits of Android. And um, that's kind of where the EU has cracked down on the fact that, you know, it's not like you can have anything else. If you've got Google Play services off of that phone, that phone's pretty useless unless you're going fully in yourself using F-Droid, et cetera. Well, yeah, you've got no Google Play services and you get on fine, don't you? I do, yeah. But I mean, it's not like it, I have an easy road of doing it either, though. It's not like I, I, I was lucky with the OnePlus 3T that I was able to get a base Sanjay mod image onto that that didn't have any of the things, but not everybody's that lucky with the phones. I mean, yes, you can give a list of phones that they support, but, you know, it's it's a brickable event when you're trying to do it. You know, you can't just decide to remove all of the Google services with one click from a standard OnePlus 3T. You've got to reflash the entire OS. Yeah, I know someone who hard bricked. I think it was amazing. It was some Chinese phone. He flashed the wrong recovery. Hey, I did exactly the same thing three days after I got my OnePlus 3T. So uh, yeah, I was lucky I managed to unbrick it. So it's easily done. That's what I cling to every time I think about it. <laughs> well, I've tried with various Nexus devices sometimes to flash the wrong bits. And thankfully, they've got um, some system in them that stops that happening, which has really saved my bacon a couple of times. In fact, I think one has literally saved my bacon because the OnePlus One is called a bacon. So there you go. So what about um, Google's reaction that, oh, this might mean that it's not free anymore, or if you're going to do this to us, then we might have to start charging. 
for Android. That seems bullshit to me. Yes. <laughs> I think um, if if Google starts to do that, then it'll be easier for competitors to come along and make a usable fork of Android if that's the easiest thing to do. Um, I, I mean, I don't think it's as black and white as authoritarian versus libertarian. I think... In a situation like this, us, the consumers are going to benefit from decisions like this, even if there's not that much logic behind it um, in terms of what the EU is doing. If you if you analyse it and analyse other kind of pseudo-monopoly markets, I think the end result is for, for the users, we, it gives us more choice and also maybe stifles a little bit of the arrogance. I mean, I think Google anecdotally anyway, has has been obfuscating Android, has been making it increasingly difficult to create open source versions of it. And, you know, if it makes them stop and think about what it is that they're doing and how that's being kind of absorbed in the wider world, you know, that's a good thing. I mean, I dread to think of a world in 10 years where Android is totally dominant and so is Google and you can't get out of it. But do you think this will actually make them think about it or will they just put their lawyers on it and hope that it goes away? I think that might be enough. I mean, I, I, I don't think I don't think they'll lose, but the fact that it's happened at all is something. I mean, I wish the same could be said of you know their tax returns. It makes me wonder what the future of Project Future is going to be as well. Are they going to take this into account now and architect it in such a way where this is easier to swap this stuff out, or indeed is it an integrated part of the platform which can't be swapped out? I know Microsoft tried that defence and it didn't really go their way, but um, Google are probably smarter than that. Well, there's a reason why Fuchsia is permissively licensed, so that they've got the option to just make it proprietary like Apple, and then this problem somewhat goes away, doesn't it? You'd have to wonder if they thought they'd actually lose anyway, because they probably looked at the facts of it and went, oh dear, we're in trouble here, but to get market share, we've got to do it. And maybe that's why Fuchsia, as you say, is the way it's licensed, because they knew damn well a long time ago that this is probably going to be the case. If they are that smart, they probably would have just looked at the facts and gone, this is mirroring this Microsoft stuff quite a lot now. Yes, specifically that last point that I mentioned about them saying to OEMs, if you want to ship any Android devices, then you can't ship any devices with a fork of Android on it. That is just fucking outrageous, isn't it? I mean, even a libertarian can think that that is a bad business practice. Yeah, but is that not like saying that, you know, you're allowed to ship a different thing of Android, but you're not allowed to call it Android? Is it not similar to that? Maybe that's where they should have gone with, you know, you can take Red Hat, you can make CentOS, but you can't call it Red Hat. Well, that's fair enough. That's about trademarking, isn't it? Whereas what we're talking about here is them forcing these OEMs to only sell their products because realistically, they're not going to take a chance with a Fire OS tablet or phone or whatever if uh, it means they can't sell all of the other standard Android phones. And so you're forcing the market to only uh, sell your stuff, which is just, you can't do that. Okay, well, here's an example for you, though. What if I make this amazing OS and I demand that you ship it because I don't want you to ship your crappy version of it. I think we've seen quite a few times where in the past, you know, say even Wimpress was uh, complaining about the Tuxedo Computers version of Mate that they installed because they hobbled it and banjaxed it so much that 
you know, he he wouldn't have been happy if he could have probably told them to remove it if he was able to. Yeah, but if they took Ubuntu Mate and forked it and called it um, Fire Linux or whatever, then he wouldn't really care, even if it looked more or less the same as that. Yeah, but then you'd be using the Play Services and the Google Play Store. So people would then just assume that it's Google, and then they'd just say, oh, this Android's a load of shit. Well, Android is a load of shit, so <laughs> even the official version... But I do take that point, yeah. But the fact is that you can't really run Android without the Play services anyway, can you? Because so many apps depend on it. And like you're saying, unless you're F-Droid only, but even then, um, you know, there's certain apps that people need and realistically, no one apart from you and a few hardcore freedom, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, people who care about freedom, let's just say politely. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> like normal people can't just use f-droid can they people who need the likes of facebook messenger well it's not like you have to type into a terminal to install things it's not that hard yeah but there's no instagram there's no facebook messenger there's no whatsapp the, the apps that people actually use to get on with their real lives yeah well maybe those companies should make open source versions of them stop trying to pretend that it's anything more than just photo filters <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, yeah. you can get things like, uh, you know, Telegram itself is not physically open. It's an open protocol. I don't see why more companies actually can't get involved in things like F-Droid and other open stores, because if you have a website, yeah, you can do that work up on your website. I mean, that's not an ideal scenario, but it does warn you in an F-Droid app that it says this app might do things you don't like. It doesn't control the network, but the app itself is open source. For a lot of cases, I don't see why that is a problem. So basically web apps, that sounds familiar, doesn't it, Will? <laughs> web apps, yeah. I mean, good web apps, yeah, not shite ones, yes. But again, this is what Google was trying to avoid with the Google Play Store and its services, the fact that they didn't want it to be easy to make. I mean, yes, they've put an awful lot of effort into making the OS. I mean, let's not deny that either. If everybody did what I did, I think they would stop doing the project pretty quick because they wouldn't be getting anything out of it. It sounds like you are uncharacteristically coming down on the side of Google here. I am not. I'm just making plain fact. I mean, I can see their point, how annoying it would be to make a very large project and then people essentially take the bits that they like and then all the bits that thing. It's exactly like trying to fund an open source project. You know, they found a way to fund the open source project by locking people into the proprietary services that they write, but it's just the matter that the the manner in which they've done it, they broke monopoly law. Allegedly. Let's put that in just in case. Yeah. So Will, where do you stand on all this? Well, I think I'd tend to side with Phelim on this one. I think all of his arguments are correct. Um I can see how it came to be and I can see what they thought they were trying to do, but ultimately it's just I don't know, a big confusing mess. Well, you say you agree with Phelan, but I'm not 100% clear exactly where Phelan stands on this. Do you think, um, well, Will, let's start with you. Do you think that the EU was right to find them 5 billion quid, $5 billion? Yes, they were right to do it. Um, it is a monopoly uh, in, in all senses of the word. Um, I'm not convinced that the people want something else, but that's not the point here. And so the next question is, are Google going to get away with this when they appeal it? They've got 
very expensive lawyers. Yeah, I think what you said earlier on, that they're just going to drag it out for as long as they possibly can. That's absolutely what's going to happen. Um, I think we'll still be talking about this in about five years' time. Is this going to be the new Scar versus IBM? <laughs> yeah. Surely it can't get that bad. We'll be here in 20 years still talking about it. We are still here in 20 years talking about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, what does Graham think? Well, I think, yeah, I do broadly agree. I mean, as I said earlier on, I'm not sure if I agree with the reasoning behind the EU's decision, but I like the fact that um, Google aren't being given unfettered access to the EU markets without you know, some kind of impression of oversight, even if I don't necessarily trust the reasoning behind it. Um, and really, the for us as users, we're relatively, we're utterly powerless, really, in the face of Google. Even we're technical people talking about this, you know, F Droid, and you you just can't get non-technical people on board with that kind of thing without a, a minor revolution, which, which kind of happened with Linux. You know, Linux was kind of born from the same kind of frustrations, but it took a long time to get to this point, um, and I would hate to see this start again. So, you know, anything that can kind of temper the dominance of a, a big player like this, I think, is a good thing. I think the biggest difficulty with phones is the fact that they're so throwaway, and you know. If you have a device that you throw away after two years, all the work that you did in it is now undone because the next device you get would be more locked down or, you know, less easy to get access to a bootloader on it. And I think you find yourself just giving up easily. Um, so even if you were trying that out, I think there's a lot of people just go, oh, I'll just get an iPhone or something like that. And for many of them, it's too late. You know, I, I speak to people, you know, who have their music collection in iTunes. They have all of their you know, files stored on one cloud or another cloud. And it's, it's very, very difficult. And I must give a shout out to Google, really. They make it comparatively easy to get your stuff out. But a lot of people don't. You know, and these are the kind of it's the new disruptive market that we're dealing with as consumers. We're not actually the consumers. Well, Google actually announced the data transfer project uh, this last week, I think. Uh, where they've been working with Twitter and Microsoft and Facebook to actually make it possible to transfer your data around uh, between these various cloud providers. So at least that's something. And they've been pretty good with the, the what they used to call takeout. I can't remember what they call it now, where you could download. Um, you can download just a giant text file of all of your um, Gmail uh, emails and sent and everything. In just one giant file? Uh, like an inbox file, I think, which you can oh, then... Lovely in theory, import into Thunderbird or something. So, yeah, they've been fairly good with, with that stuff. But um, I'd, I hope that this changes. I hope that um, it facilitates something like what Cyanogen Mod tried, you know, with Cyanogen OS. Um, it makes it a little bit easier for them, maybe. Um, obviously, it's lineage now, and they don't seem as interested in uh, making money out of it in the same way that... Um, Cyanogen Inc. did, but maybe someone could take that open source code that Lineage are doing and try and make a commercial product out of it that isn't as bogged down by all the Google bullshit. Because, you know, I still flash the Google Play Store, but I don't want like Play magazines and fucking books and all that shit, you know, which is just more bloat. All I'm really interested in is, um, just getting access to the Play Store, which is why I always flash the um, OpenG apps Pico. So that's my tip if you do want um, a relatively bloat-free but Google-filled life, 
if you want to go sort of one worse than what Phelium does in terms of freedom. So much disappoint. <laughs> I've thought about it, man. I've thought about it. Um, but, you know, it just means not being able to talk to certain people if I can't have WhatsApp and stuff. And, you know, the, I could try and use web apps for a lot of things, but... There's a WhatsApp beta downloader in F-Droid. No problem. You're sorted. Um, all right. Uh, AntennaPod, I'm sorted there. Uh, yeah, see? Excuses is all I hear. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about Google Drive. I use that quite a lot. Um, Docs, specifically. I don't know how well that works in firefox yeah you just need to get nextcloud on the go yeah but that people don't use nextcloud do they and it's shit the the document editing google drive is what everyone uses so i need access to that on my phone um i'm sure i can get a free software rss reader hmm you might have convinced me or i started using slack recently maybe there's a web app for that but uh, I suppose we've uh, rambled on enough for now. It's getting a bit late. I've got to put the bins out. So um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks then. Until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Will. And I've been Graham. See you later. Bye.